welcome to this established series. Last week we looked at Jesus' mission, and what we discovered is that he's really come for people who are, who are humble, who recognize their need for him. And what we're going to do this week is then look at how he helped those kinds of people. And we're going to look at three characteristics of Jesus' ministry. We'll go through each one and apply them to, uh, to how God wants to minister to us in our own life. So the first thing that God, uh, as, he, as he's come to earth in the, in the form of a man, the first thing that he did was actually clarify our problems, give us better problems. Uh, I might have referred to this, uh, referred uh, in the past to this, but I'm reminded of a, of a number of years ago, Jessica Ga was a campus missionary with us, and uh, she came to a staff meeting and talked about an experience that she had with a, with a guy on campus. And so she goes up to this guy, and she says, uh, she says, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a longer conversation, but she says, Jesus loves you. And the guy responds with, um, well, why wouldn't he? I mean, I'm a great guy. Like, what isn't there to love, <laughs> you know? And then her response to that is, well, uh, you don't understand. Like, you're a sinner. And his response to that is, no, I'm not. What you Christians call uh, sin, I call solutions. Um, if I'm stressed out, there's nothing like weed that, to calm me down. If at work... I do something that could get me fired, well, it doesn't hurt to lie a little. And, um, you know, if I need comfort or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that's what I have a girlfriend for. And so what you guys call sin, I call solutions. And so she kind of listened to this guy and comes back to our, our staff and you go, what am I supposed to do with this guy? Like, and, and what we discovered is that Jesus' solutions only work for Jesus' problems, for gospel problems. And that if we have the wrong set of problems, um, then the solutions that Jesus offers just don't make any sense at all. And actually, this is what we discover in all of Scripture, is that we often come into our life with, in a sense, a wrong set of problems. When we look at the Old Testament, what we saw there is that people seemed to have two main problems. There was uh, famine or there was war. And so the Old Testament prophets come along and say, that's not your problem. Your main problem is you're unfaithful to God. And if you would deal with that problem, then these other problems, which are really symptoms, would actually take care of themselves. We see this in uh, Peter's first message that kind of inaugurated the Christian church. Why did those people come together? Well, some Jews were behaving in a weird way, and so they wanted to kind of check out what was going on. Well, by the end of Peter's sermon, uh, he ends with the idea that you killed the liberator. You killed your Messiah. And it says that they were cut to the heart, and they turned to Jesus, and the church began. So they came with one set of problems. Peter says, you know, let me show you what's really going on. And that new problem was so convicting, they repented and followed Jesus Christ. And Jesus does the exact same thing in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. So he's going to be talking to some fishermen. Now, what are, what's the primary problem that a fisherman has? What's well, catching enough fish for the day so they can feed their family? Now, look at how Jesus switches that problem to something very compelling. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So what did he do? He shifted their problem. Their problem used to be catching enough physical fish. He says, let me give you a brand new life problem. Come with me, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for men and see their lives dramatically changed. That new problem was so compelling, it says they, they dropped their nets and followed him, meaning they dropped their old problem and embraced a new problem. And it began their journey of following Christ. So what is the primary problem that most of us identify with in life? Well, I dare to say it's happiness. Whatever that would look like for us, what we're mo what's mostly motivating our life is we just want to be happy. It's why we became a Christian. It's, uh, it's how we chose the vocation that we have or who we uh, marry or want to marry. I mean, most of life is motivated by figuring out how to be personally happy. Well, if that's our problem, Jesus really often doesn't make very much sense at all. I mean, we can kind of spin it where Jesus is the, is the best way for your personal self-fulfillment, but eventually we would see that there's really another agenda going on. And what God's agenda is, what his problem is, is that we don't have a love relationship with him or others. That's, that's the problem that he wants to give us. And a way that we can summarize that is righteousness. Instead of happiness, God wants to bring righteousness. And righteousness is to be in a right relationship with God and others. And so Jesus only makes sense if righteousness is our desire. So when Jesus comes to minister to us, the first thing that he does is clarify better problems. This is a powerful way to receive the work of Jesus into our life, isn't it? Is to receive a better problem. And without that better problem, any of the work that Jesus does in our life will either seem mysterious or actually counterproductive to what we're really hoping that he would do in our life. I'm sure that there's many times in your life, as, as there's been in mine, where we look at kind of where our life was going and we're going, well, this isn't very helpful at all. I'm, I'm trying to be happy, and then you're just bringing difficulties into my life and, and have a different set of expectations for me. And so we become disillusioned with the work of God, with the ministry of Jesus in our life, simply because he's working on a different problem. So maybe the first issue that needs to be addressed in our life is our assumptions of what Jesus has come to do for us. He's come to make us loving people, to have a dynamic, life-giving relationship with God and with other people. And if we don't want that, Jesus will be disappointing. So that's the first thing that Jesus came to do in his ministry. The second thing, after giving us a better problem, well, now he wants to give us a better power. Now that we know what the problem is, we need, a, we need better resources, in a sense, to, uh, to see us accomplish that new life trajectory that he's given us. We need a better power. Well, this is what we read about uh, a little further on in Mark chapter 1, verses 22, and then we'll look at verse 34. It says, the people were amazed at his teaching. Now, whenever I've read that, I go, well, he must have been a super good communicator. I mean, he just must have been incredibly talented and really passionate and really compelling 
uh, stories and really kind of opened up the Word of God in a way that was new and, and intriguing. But listen to what's said. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I mean, that's even kind of hard to understand, isn't it? That he teaches with authority, not like all the other teachers. <clears throat> and then it goes on to say in verse 34 that Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. And what the people say when he performed these miracles is, um, what is this new teaching? Uh, that with authority, he drives out demons. They saw his work and his words as being kind of the same thing, his ministry, and that his ministry had authority. When he spoke, our hearts were struck. Demons left. People were healed of diseases. His words had spiritual power to them. This is absolutely remarkable. You know, I, I think about, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher. So I, I notice, and maybe you've noticed too, and, I, and if you haven't, now it's, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to probably feel self-conscious after this, but um, I notice when I preach, when I move out of my own power and into God's power, my sermons typically feel like I start mostly feeling self-conscious, <laughs> you know? I, I just, I don't feel very confident um, speaking publicly. I, you know, I <clears throat> can imagine you falling asleep or being distracted or whatever it is, you know, and <clears throat> I don't feel very, I don't feel like I'm a gifted communicator. And so what I do is I get in my own head. And I just think about, mostly about my performance or your responses. And then something happens to me, hopefully sooner than later, <laughs> but something happens to me where I stop being self-conscious. And what, it, uh, what it's always about is I think about Jesus and his word. And as I get caught up in scripture and in what God says is true, I forget about myself. I don't need people to respond to me in any particular way. I'm free. Because now it's more about living in response to his authority and speaking on his behalf than about how well I'm doing or whether I'm performing well. It becomes about him. Have you noticed this in your own language? Have you noticed, and, and I really want you to think about this, that there are times when you lose your, your, your sense of self-consciousness, where you become, in a sense, self-forgetful, know, where you're not you know, weighing your words and wondering whether people like you or not and whether you're doing a good job or you're fitting in or, or whether you're pleasing your boss. or You're just speaking kind of from a different location, that there's a... There's a, there's a confidence of having been with Jesus in the morning in your personal devotions and that he's with you during the course of the day and that your identity is in him and you're doing what pleases him and brings glory to him. And so the moment stops being about you and even necessarily others and it becomes more about 
the, the presence and power of Jesus in any given moment. And when that happens, our language actually changes. We become less anxious, more peaceful. It's not that, that authority is about being louder. It's actually being calmer. It's knowing that God is in this moment. And as I am reflecting his will and his desires in his heart, I'm speaking on his behalf. And when I know that that's going on, there's actually authority in my words. You know, sometimes people have said, you know, you know Pastor Greg, when you, when you preach sometimes, it just feels like my heart is being struck. Well, clearly that's not because I'm a gifted speaker, but God's doing something in that moment. I was, um, last Sunday, I was preaching at, a, at another church, and uh, on Zoom, obviously, and <clears throat> there was, um, there was a, a number of different churches that had come together for this church service, and one of them uh, was in a Middle Eastern country, in a closed country, a country that's close to the gospel. And uh, this, uh, this woman was leading worship, and uh, I was, I was, I mean, she was, I'm, I'm sure she was a great worship leader, but she was anointed. And I remember just being ushered into the presence of God uh, through her uh, ministry in Jesus' name. I could hardly control my emotions, and I needed to speak in a few minutes. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just bathed in the presence of God. She had authority. I need to ask you, do you recognize your authority? Or are you mostly just trying to manage your insecurities and just trying to, I don't know, be clever or accepted? That what if what Jesus is giving you and I is power? He gives us a better problem to be in a, a right relationship with him and others, to love others, to be righteous, to be in right relationship. And then he gives us power to carry that out. Uh, this is absolutely remarkable. I think we can go through days, and I would venture to say weeks and months, and never even recognize that God is present and want to move through and wants to move through us in power. I think that this can be true for us. But what if Jesus came in power, and as we carry on his ministry, we walk in that power? I even think in terms of prayer, that we pray with authority. How do we pray with authority? We pray the scriptures. We pray according to his will. And that churns um, uh, prayer from being kind of uh, therapeutic, where we're, you know, expressing what's in our heart and it's good to kind of get things out in the open and and uh, other people can perhaps console us if we pray in a group to we are we are praying the will of almighty god and there's authority when we pray in jesus name that's not the that's not the period at the end of a prayer that's the statement of the authority that we pray in. Wouldn't this dramatically change our lives if we prayed and spoke 
with authority. That, that we prophesy, we pray for healing, we pray to see people's hearts change, we ask for wisdom at work in solving problems, when people are, uh, you know, even technical problems, but we're walking in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what his ministry came to give. The final one, so we need better problems. We need to, God isn't going to bless some agenda that's different than his. And then he gives us power through the work of Jesus. We have power by his cross and resurrection. And finally, we see in Jesus' ministry that he gives, he, he works in a better plan. And this is, this is equally remarkable. In chapter 3 of Mark, verse 14 and 15, he says this. It says this, he appointed 12, so this is the apostles, he appointed 12 for three reasons, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Here's that authority. And then to have authority to drive out demons. Now, think about, you're the son of God and before you, 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 know, you come, there's going to be a second coming. But in this first coming, you have, you know, uh, 33, 34, whatever, you have a, a very short amount of time on earth. What are you going to do with that time? Wow, if we think about what uh, we see around us in terms of politics, what a politician is mostly doing is trying to figure out how to get to the top. They want to get as much publicity as possible. They want to get as much favor as possible. And they want to collect power. That's what their agenda is. And if they can collect enough votes, enough recognition, enough respect, whatever it is that they think is going to get them to the top, they collect it all and stand on top of it as a leader. And we see Jesus doing the exact opposite of that. Even when, you know, demons are declaring that he's the son of God, he tells them to be quiet. That in some strange way, his glory and position as a leader is, is, is not at all about what was, uh, you know, collected to him, that, that, that scripture even says in Isaiah that there was nothing attractive about him. That what his plan was, was actually to invest, personally invest, in individuals. It wasn't about popularity for him. It was about personally investing in a few others. What a remarkable life vision. You know, he heals somebody, and then what does he say about the healing? Your faith has made you well. You know, I, I think about that. What a ridiculous thing to say. Like, no, your power made me well. He goes, no, 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 your faith made you well. I mean, it's just, it's just, just at every turn, uh, he's either empowering his disciples or he's giving glory to the Father. And he says, Father, I only do what I see you doing. I pray that your name would be glorified to the point of death on a cross but I'm here to lift your name up. Everything about him is moving, uh, is him serving and blessing others. For the Son of Man did not come to, to, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is just a 
what a, what a remarkable ministry. Revolutionary when we compare him to any other leader. It's just, it's overwhelming to me. Now, how does this apply to us? Um, well, if we're to, to take up Jesus' ministry, um, it means then that we would make decisions on behalf of others. Uh, you know, why, uh, if, you, if you have gone to, to post-secondary education, why did you do that? Uh, who was that for? Was it so that you could get a better job? Um, so that you could, you know, feel better about yourself and, and get more respect and perhaps make more money? Uh, the work that you choose, uh, who is it best for? Is it, is, it, is it best for others that you would do that work? Or do you think that it's just best for you? The way that Jesus ministers to us is he sets us free from a self-centered existence. Uh, think of the clothing that you wear. Who's your clothing best for? Is it, is, it, is it best for others that you dress the way that you do? Or is it provocative or arrogant or about power? What if we actually chose how to dress to benefit other people? What if the place that we decide to live is where we believe the Spirit of God has called us to invest in? That it's not just that we find a, a neighborhood that uh, you know, is, is close to a school and we can afford to buy and, and we can, you know, I mean, if, if those things work out, great. But certainly, there must be something more going on than that. It's just not about uh, setting up our own little uh, piece of heaven on earth. But Jesus ministered out of an entirely different motivation. It was all about investing in others and blessing others and see his kingdom grow through the hearts of other people. Generation after generation, people investing in hearts, loving people sacrificially, sincerely, with joy. This is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes with better problems, better power, and better plans that culminate in the cross. He answered the deepest problem at the cross. He demonstrated power over death at the cross. And through the cross, he uh, empowered by his spirit a generation upon generation of followers of him who transmit his gospel heart to heart by the power, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus did in his ministry culminated in his death and resurrection, solving the real problem with real power in a way that spread love and glorified his Father. What an absolutely remarkable life and death. So in conclusion, how does Jesus need to minister to you today? Do you need a better problem today? Are you uh, being motivated by happiness in that you need to receive Jesus' problem as opposed to trying to solve your own problem? Is happiness 
Uh, does it need to be replaced with righteousness? Does Jesus need to give you a better problem? Does Jesus need to give you a better power? That it feels like you go through life mostly self-conscious, mostly trying to earn approval and, um, and, and you know, hoping that you just don't embarrass yourself or, you know, like you're just trying to mostly survive life. Does Jesus need to minister to you in power and where you receive his power to live out his agenda? Do you need power? I encourage you. We're going to be taking communion in a moment. I encourage you to, to seek God's authority, to abandon our personal opinions and, you know, what we think is right and wrong. And, like, who cares about our opinions? Who cares? We hear so many opinions these days, so many statistics that we all know are, are slightly twisted and bent toward the uh, agenda of the presenter. We need authority. And the only authority is the word of God. The only authority is to represent him. Well, this is what Jesus wants to minister to you and I today just as he did to his disciples. And then finally, what is your plan for your life? Is your plan to co collect or to give away? What's your plan? Jesus wants to minister to you by giving you a better life plan. He wants you to adopt his, where he didn't collect things out of popularity. He gave himself away, made others great, brought glory to his father. Do you need a better plan? This is what Jesus is going to give to you today if you ask him. Now, uh, if you're like me, you're going to go, wow, we need all three. You know, I need a better problem. I need better power. I need a better plan. Can I just, I mean, good, um, but can I just ask you to pick one? As I was praying, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying that if you were to choose all three, you actually wouldn't be choosing any. It's too general. I think the Holy Spirit wants you to pick one this morning and to say, Holy Spirit, which one are you wanting to, how do I receive Jesus' ministry in me today? Is it through power, through a problem, through a, a, a better life plan? How can I, how can I, uh, I, I encourage you to listen to what, what Jesus wants to do, wants to give you today. As I said, we're going, to, uh, we're going to be taking communion right now. And so this is what I'd like you to consider as we, as we look at communion. Communion remembers the, the death of Jesus and his resurrection. His ministry is fulfilled through the blood and the bread. It's how it's fulfilled. It's, it culminates all that he did in his surprisingly short ministry time. Begins, we'll look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11. It says that, uh, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Now, what is the, what is the symbol of the bread? Well, the bread is sustenance for a journey. You see, Jesus has given us a new journey. 
and he has given himself as our sustenance for that journey. If you're feeling tired and weak, it might be because you're on the wrong journey. It might be that you're going in a direction that he has no intent on nourishing you in. But as you say yes to his journey, to, uh, to leave the, the slavery and bondage of Egypt, which is a, a, a symbol of our own self-centered kingdom, he says, I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to give you, this is my ministry. I'm serving you. I'm giving you my, uh, my strength to sustain you for the journey that lies ahead. If this is what you want, then I encourage you to take the bread. So this is Christ's body uh, broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, in the middle of, of such a grand mission that God has given us, of, uh, of denying self, moving toward love and relationship, we can easily mistake that into being a life about performance and earning love and being good enough. And so what he does is he founds this life that he's given us on mercy. He begins by loving us first, by completing our relationship with him based on his extravagant and generous forgiveness, where there's no separation between him and us. The work has already been done, has already been accomplished. And so he frees us from having to prove something so that our life can be about loving others. Otherwise, our, our love is just always with mixed motive, isn't it? Is, is it? Are we trying to earn approval? And, or are we, 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 you know, only through forgiveness are we able to genuinely love others? And so the ministry of Jesus forgives our sins, not even for, for, for the benefit of forgiveness. It's for the benefit of reconciliation, of being brought into a love relationship with God so that we can have a love relationship with others. So if this is what you want, if you, if you want a power that can forgive sins, then I encourage you to participate in communion and receive his life. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Take and drink. Father, I thank you for your ministry. I thank you that you chose to do exactly what we need you to do. You gave us a better problem. Through your, your blood and resurrection life, you gave us a better power. And through your personal investment in our lives, you give us a better plan to carry out the purpose that you've given us. And so we receive your ministry today. We receive it with much. We're hungry for it. And we forsake our old problems. 
our old powers and our old plans. And like we see with the disciples, we drop everything to follow you. Let our lives be about glorifying your name and bringing your kingdom to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's for very good reason that the life of Jesus is the center of human history. Because what he brought to earth will forever change this planet and our lives for eternity. So meditate on these things and let his ministry continue to, uh, to bless your heart.